Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next podcast here at Treknababble. This is Kevin. This is Matthew. And, this uh, is we're... Kelly. And this is Beth. So we're joined today by uh, Kelly and Beth. So uh, we're going to be reviewing uh, the season two episode, Death Wish. Uh, this is this is a great episode. I'm going to I'm going to spoil my the end of my review now and just say that I do have a great fondness for this episode. So uh, I'm looking forward to this one. Um, just sitting down to think about it, obviously it recalls um, QLS, the the DS9 episode where they brought Q on. Um, so do you feel like they had a good reason for bringing Q back, or do you think it was, uh, we need to get Star Trek viewers watching, so let's bring in Q? I don't know if it was just stunt casting. I think... Uh, I mean, if you look at the Memory Alpha page, there's a lot of talk about sort of the back-and-forth negotiations, and, you know, Berman was sort of... I mean, the quote is, he was very concerned about how to get Q into the Delta Quadrant. Uh, and it's been tricky. It has to be done carefully. We don't want to give the impression that of all the Starfleet ships around, the only ones Q visits are the ones that have on-air series. And that's a fine point. But, of course, the more important point, if you ask me, is on a show with the premise of Voyager, how do you tell a Q story without the obvious question of why doesn't Q just send them home, right? Uh, really... The thing that we hated about Qless, and I is hated, you know, I don't know, maybe you didn't hate it, but I hated it. Uh, the thing that at least I hated about Qless was the fact that it was basically like a TNG story, and there was no reason for him to interact with the DS9 characters. Like there, there wasn't, we didn't learn anything about DS9 for Q's having been there. And on TNG, we learned a lot about the TNG characters. So my standard for an episode like this is just. Is it a Voyager story? Does it fundamentally hurt the Q character, which I think Qless did? It turned him into sort of a weird, stalkery dipshit. Um, you know, and does it just function as a good episode in its own right? Uh, that, so I, I don't view it as, look, every, every episode is either a new story or something where you bring something back, you know? And we're not going to, penalize stories simply for respecting continuity the question is what do they do with it you know was it a pointless rehash of something or did they actually add something new and i think we'll see i'll tell you when i think it happens but you know uh there's going to be a lot of great new stuff with this uh, now elizabeth was three years my junior when we watched this episode for the first time you know so maybe she had a more immature opinion of it i don't know what do you think elizabeth I, I've always liked this episode. Um, I don't think I had a more immature opinion of it. I think that the interplay between all of the characters, I mean, how much can I spoil in what I say here? Like, do I have limits? We presume everyone who listens to the podcast has watched the episode at least once, possibly okay. more than once. Okay, then I have to say that it's almost unfortunate that Quinn ended up dying anyway because he was so interesting. And, you know, he he would have made a phenomenal uh, recurring guest character. Yeah, it would have been interesting if they had had different cues for each series, you know. Yeah. Um, and I agree. I like Quinn as a character. Um, of course, th there were two other opportunities for a recurring Voyager cue, which never really came to fruition. Uh, but we'll get to those when we get to those. Um, Kelly came to this as a new fan, you know, and she probably saw all the cue episodes 
much closer to each other than any of us did. Yeah. I, I like this episode. I mean, I think part of the reason I like it is that it comes in a string of not so interesting episodes. Yeah, the real danger is that we'll all give it a five reflexively because <laughs> it comes right after Threshold. So, you know, I think that that might be part of it. I don't know if this came in, a, you know, season four or season five or six, if I would care as much about it because it would be taking me away from storylines that I care more about. Um, but I think it's interesting. I think it brings up a lot of things that we haven't considered yet. So I think it's good in that way. Well, yeah, and- I, rem- I remember liking <coughs> the analysis of the, uh, of euthanasia and things like that. And, you know, with the exception of maybe ethics, uh, it's not a topic the show has really tackled before. And well, yeah, I mean, they, that's... They found a really a good Star Trek spin. story? Yeah. The answer is yes. Yeah. Because, like all good Star Trek stories, it has an actual big idea that's explored with the science fiction, you know? Unlike bad Star Trek stories where there are no ideas. Well, yeah. and, and the actor who Everyone. plays Quinn just makes it his performance is so profound that you feel this overwhelming empathy and and sympathy for his character. And you end up feeling, you know, I think it's hard for a guest actor to make the viewer care as much about their character as, you know, perhaps the show intends to. But in this case, this actor, he hit it on the head. I mean, he was amazing in this role and you really, really cared. And I think that is something that should be admired. Okay, well, why don't we just start the episode since uh, <laughs> we could just talk about it for an hour and not start it. Um, so everybody's ready to go. Yep. Kevin, are you watching the Netflix version? Yes. Okay. I, well, I guess it won't be turned up, so you won't be able to tell if there's any weird fanfare. Fanfare. Oh, God, it still bothers me. It's like, <laughs> I can't, uh, it, it was freaking me out. I, I actually thought maybe there was, like, sound outside my apartment or something that just happened to queue up and then i went back i'm like what is this somebody was entering the room next door <laughs> to, to fanfare, fanfare. yeah <laughs> you don't enter rooms to fanfare i mean why why enter a room yeah all okay. right well, so everybody get ready and we will all press play together we will count down from three and then on the word play we will press it <laughs> three two one press play So there's a comet. Is that the comet from Masks? Hmm. I don't think so. I don't think it's a reuse. So it, it looks like a comet. This is interesting after just watching the cosmos about comets and asteroids. Yeah. So I wonder where this comet is in relation to what star. Like, it should actually be pretty close to a star if it's, you know, emitting all this gas here. But they never seem to indicate that they're close to a star didn't they say it was a rogue comet yeah i mean and if it's a rogue comet it should just be dark it should be cold out of the way extra (laughs) maybe he's been in the background before but he never gets a speaking role so why does he materialize in starfleet uniform (laughs) Because he's Q and he knows? Yeah, I suppose maybe he's conscious for long enough to exercise his powers. Maybe he's conscious while in the thing. I mean, I I thought the indication was that he couldn't escape. Um, 
but maybe he can't escape, but he still, uh, but he still is, you know, omniscient and able to. Yeah, he experiences his isolation. That that becomes part of the. Yeah. Ethical he can do whatever he wants inside his isolation. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Hmm. I mean, I just think it might have been more consistent if he were naked. And maybe they didn't want to frame a shot like that, or maybe the actor didn't want to be naked. But I think, I mean, of course, why is he human, right? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting questions all. I suppose you could um, ask how Voyager got past the lock that Q couldn't get past, but hey. Yeah, you know, so did the continuum just say, well, maybe something, some hilarious hijinks will ensue if we leave it open from the outside? I think we both know that if we were omniscient beings, we would be explicitly allowing for the opportunities for hijinks. I think that would yeah. be an integral part of our omnipotence. Well, the Q seem, you know, very focused on hijinks. At least Q does, and maybe Q too. Uh, that's Corbin Burnson Q. Yeah. So yeah, actually, this is the third Q we're gonna meet, isn't it? Um. I yes. I suppose what's her face, Olivia Davo. Yeah, Q. Amanda. Was a Q. Is her name Amanda Knox? No. 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 Amanda Rogers was the character's name. I believe. Is Amanda Knox from something else? I believe that's the woman in Italy who was accused of killing her roommate. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, she's obviously not a Q. So he's a captain, too. Well, that's what Q always does that. Well, he's not like a marshal of France or... Yeah. I thought that Janeway seemed worried because Lana's reaction is just not enough. She's like, uh, there's a guy on board. Well, maybe she has... I mean, Lana may never have heard of Q. Right, yeah, but wouldn't you still be frightened that a man appeared when you were beaming in the comet piece? Well, I mean, she's done a lot of... Seen a lot of weird stuff in the past two seasons. What do you think of Q Quinn's gesture? Oh, as opposed to the um Snap. Yeah. Well, everyone needs one. I guess. It's like a Jedi, they each have a different lightsaber. Or perhaps the actor just wasn't good at snapping. Yeah, it could be. That seems like a really weird thing to be bad at for <laughs> such a long time. I'm not great at snapping my fingers. Yeah, Alright. That's what Foley work is for though. Foley work? The sound Foley guy. work is when they add sound effects that oh, aren't on set. True. So he says, you're mortals, aren't you? Isn't he used to dealing with mortals? Well, not for a long time, anyway. Now, when he says you only live for nine years, does he mean her specifically? I, thought he he I, I assumed o he was referring to Ocampa generally. Well, but we've seen other Ocampa who lived for 14 years. Christ, we're nitpickers. Good God. Every captain in Starfleet is briefed about the Enterprise. But not shown a picture, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although it's, it's a reasonable assumption that she could think he was just altering his appearance. Because he's Q. Yeah. Yeah, all white guys look alike. <laughs> he could appear as a Denebian serpent or whatever it was. Aldebaran serpent. So 300 years is the length of his incarceration. Seems like it'd be pretty short relative to, you know, 
the sum of existence, you know? <laughs> He's in Phillips. <laughs> he wrinkles his nose. So we're getting the, you know, sort of setup. Five and a half minutes in, he wants to die. The, the actor is definitely uh, delivering. There's a, there, there's an energy there. He's he's in no way phoning it in. No, yeah. he's not. All the men have disappeared. Well, that would have been an interesting show. <laughs> this episode that just basically a Xeno Warrior Princess. Yeah. The show just one? passed the Bechdel test with flying colors. <laughs> I apologize for the inconvenience. That's funny. I wonder what the male actors thought about being cut out of a certain portion of the episode. I don't think it's that long. But given that they wouldn't have had lo- much lines anyway, it was probably, you know, they got to kick back and, you know, go to craft services. Hey, there's John Delancey. So I guess the purple lipstick is a thing, though. Yeah, because it was a thing when he was a judge, and then at some point, I think in Voyager, because they didn't do it in Next Gen, and I don't think they did it on Deep Space Nine, but that, like lip there that is that is gotten blu-ray it must be like iridescent (laughs) um it's my understanding that uh john delancey and kate mulgrew are close friends in real life yeah i think they had worked before this yeah and i gotta say i i think it my ultimate problem with the q i love this voyager Oh, the, the ship of the Valkyries. <laughs> um, you finally done away with your men altogether. But um, there's an interplay between Q and Picard that sets up, you know, like we talked about between Encounter and Farpoint and all good things, the whole like ethos of Next Generation. I like Q in this episode a lot. I do think it's the best Q outing Voyager will have. Because and I enjoy seeing Janeway and, uh, you know, Mulgrew and Delancey, you know, act off each other because it's clear that they're mining their personal chemistry for the laughs, but it never quite rises to that, like, like almost philosophical level that it did with Picard and Q. You know what I mean? Where like Q is the opposite of Picard in that he is an incredibly powerful being who feels no ethical obligation to use it wisely or moderately. And that's the opposite of Picard's entire worldview. That is that, if anything, is what I think continues to lack even in the good Q Voyager outings. I agree with you. Uh, let's comment on this scene before we go on with that analysis. This There's sequence no universe was outside. genius. It's yeah, I mean, it's a lot of fun, in as much as uh, baryonic particles, um, in as much as it's something that you'll never see on another show. Yeah. You know, this is the birth of the universe, a very old hiding place. It kind of raises the question about where, uh, whether the Q are 
a part of this universe or some other universe. <laughs> Dude, that's uh, my favorite line. The ship will not survive the formation of the cosmos. It's, just a, <laughs> it's like one of those lines. I do wonder where the ship is in relation yes. to the Big Bang, because doesn't space as a thing you can occupy not exist yet? But that's a yeah. fairly high-level question. Well, I think it's a reasonable question, e- even to someone who, you know, I mean, if you... So now they're looking at uh, subatomic particles. You know, I, how can they have a view of the Big Bang? Also, there's, as far as we know, no light emitted during the Big Bang. It's only later uh, when space particles get far enough from each other that pho- photons can propagate. So there, there are elements of the visualization which I think are questionable. But it's the kind of thing that Star Trek does really well. You know, just like in where no one has gone before. It's, it's you know, fun and thought visualizations yeah. of crazy stuff. And of course, this is an interesting. <laughs> I, I believe this was about the time that the Hallmark Voyager ornament was issued, and it, it's just cute. It's just funny. Like it's charming. It immediately calls g- generations to mind. Yeah. yeah. It would be interesting if they were on, in that Christmas tree. Guardians of the Universe, what is this, Green Lantern? I wonder if uh, the writers were Green Lantern fans. So, Kevin, I'm coming back to this point you were making about yeah. the interplay. And, you know, I I agree that it's different, but I don't think it's different in a bad way. No, I'm not saying it's bad. And I think this is its best. I will say I think this episode is its best iteration because it has the strongest sort of philosophical undertone, their interplay as just, you know, interesting drama is right there. And I think that comes from, like, the trust and the, like, previous relationship. Like, if nothing else, uh, Delancey was never this physical, like, with pa- with Patrick Stewart. Like the yeah, physical he never contact. held his hand. Right. So I mean, like, he, he stroked his cheek once in bed in right. tapestry, but that's about it. So I, I enjoy the two of them together throughout, because what is it? It's this, Q and the Gray, and Q2, right? Yeah, and all three times their uh, scenes together are great. They're interesting. They're layered. The sort of mocking, flirting plays really well. I just think it—it's always going to be a close and but pleasant second place to the next gen Q stuff because it lacks the like series-defining purpose for the Q character. I agree with that. You know, but let me say about the interactions with captains, I agree completely that his interaction with, here's how I see Q. I see Q as sort of a waspy bully, okay? And by that I mean someone who's in a position of very high privilege who takes it upon himself to find the one thing that will upset the other person the most, and then he does that thing, okay? And so with Picard... It's showing a completely cavalier attitude towards, you know, order and, you know, the rule of law and, you know, uh, sort of Kantian ethical imperatives, right? Whereas with Janeway, whether or not she displays that generally, it seems like his thing is to pick on her as a woman, to try to be a sexist and try to indicate that she's less believable or less worthy of respect and you see her react to it like he's trying to get a rise out of her you know yeah um well and i think in that way it sort of is series defining not 
not in the same way that it is with the next generation, but I mean, a large part of this series is about having a woman in charge and what that means and how Janeway is a very different kind of captain than Picard is. I think the problem with Culus is that it really had nothing to do with it's like, yeah, Q is kind of puckish and annoying and Cisco punched him. All right, fine. But I didn't really learn anything about Cisco. There were other stories that told me a lot more about Cisco. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, you know, you know, what's lacking, uh, I think in the Janeway Q dynamic is, um, and it, it, it's when Delancey could turn on like a, a menace to his interactions with Picard. Like maybe if they'd found a way for him to like, not just, you know, throw out little Bon Moths about sexism and who wears the pants, but like every so often just throwing a little something like, like, like when Seska accuses her, you know, if this were a Cardassian ship, we'd be home by now. Maybe if there were a little companion of that little, that darker side to the humor, that, that would have been, that would have made it more interesting as a plot point rather than just, because it, it feels like the interest for the Janeway Q interactions for me is just watching these two very talented actors who happen to also be friends just mine their skill and friendship for interesting chemistry. Yeah, it's on a, it's on a very comedic level. Yeah. I agree with that. So they're using the uh, conference, conference room. room without the sort of boogie board table. I like that this episode is Voyager and not TNG because I think that Picard as captain would be different in dealing with a situation like this. Like it would be slightly more philosophical and Janeway slightly more emotional. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. I he agree. would take a he would take a hard stance on a rule immediately, you know. Whereas Janeway wants to hear all sides and try to come to the most equitable solution. Well, also, I think, you know, fairly early on in TNG, we get used to the idea of Picard as, you know, moral arbiter. That's his, that, that's his job. It's he, he listens to all sides and makes a decision. That And I don't know if we've ever gotten an episode that so sharply and so interestingly puts Janeway as the fulcrum of a complicated moral decision. And, and that, that, that's not a critique. It's just, I, I just think it's an observation. Like, we've never, I, I'm trying to recall if there was an episode in the last season and a half that really just was some grand philosophical question Janeway has to answer. So it's fun watching her do that. And this so is, here is a green screen effect, which does not look not the best. It's not the best. The lighting is just not good. Uh, this, but the proportions it's so funny. I off. enjoy it. I love the idea that the Q, yeah, have to deal with the unknown, that there is things, are things that are unknown for them. Yeah, I mean, that that really seems to be what they're afraid of, is, you know, something different happening. Immortality is one of the defining qualities of being a Q. That's kind of a Cartesian point, you know. Descartes says that, Part of God's essence is God's existence, and they're inseparable from each other. And so would the Q still be Q if they could be mortal? Of course, we have Amanda Rogers' parents, uh, 
<sighs> who were made mortal by the Q. And I, I do like that they at least reference the past. He was known in the continuum as one of your great philosophers. How big is the continuum? <laughs> yeah, I wonder how many Q there are supposed to be. This is a good Tim Russ role. You know, I mean, courtroom dramas, however formal or informal, are often, you know, great sort of dramatic places for people to pontificate and make speeches. And a double face palm. Yeah, so he mentions the uh, execution of cues. I got to say, I, it is interesting watching Q interact with a different set of crew. Because, you know, there's a rhythm to a TNG episode. You show up, you tweak Picard's nose, you insult Worf. You know, like there's a there's a there's patter that is pleasant in its familiarity. Seeing new well, new ones is, is fun. And I will say. I think, oh, go ahead. Well, I think this is a great uh, playing against type role for John Delancey as Q, because he's the advocate for conservatism, whereas normally he's the advocate for going wild and crazy, you know? So I really like the fact that he's given sort of dramatic speeches to make yeah. uh, in this courtroom setting, and the speeches are about the nature of the continuum. Um, I think that's really interesting. And it's good continuity that they uh, brought it up. <laughs> I'll allow the question. Uh, okay. As oh, much this as isn't I, a court. Yeah, as much as I rag on a lot of courtroom episodes, this one um, doesn't bother me because even in real, even in the real world, an asylum hearing or like any any type of goal, any type of proceeding where the goal is something other than an outright finding of fact, but just a finding of is there enough here to keep going? The rules are much more relaxed, so it bothers me less when people just evolve into speeches as a TV convention. Yeah, I mean, but I do really an arbitration hearing. So yeah. it, it doesn't have the same kind of rules. I, I do think every writer in Hollywood must be taken into a room and taught a few key phrases like I'll allow the question. Like <laughs> Well this is also the future. Who knows what the rules are yeah. in the future? Yeah, I wonder if the seventh guarantee applies to Q. Is curiosity an emotion? That's what I was just wondering. Well, Data's curious. All right. Now, does this seem like stunt casting? Well, Maybe a little. To be fair, he was there. He did direct the episode. Yeah. Well, he still looks pretty good. Yeah. So he's been on four different series. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was Thomas Riker who was on. Yeah, Deep but Frakes has acted in four different series. Much to Enterprise fans' chagrin, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm a little sad they didn't get the same guy who played Newton in Descent. Well, they got the same wig, isn't that enough? Maury <laughs> <laughs> Ginsburg. It's interesting how Mulgrew is playing this. You know, it's like now she's just excited. Yeah. 
oh, come on, if you got to meet Jonathan Frakes and Isaac Newton, I think you'd be pretty excited. <laughs> sure. Tell me, Matt, uh, is your dream job in the in the Star Trek universe now Philosopher Q? <laughs> well, I suppose being a Q would have its advantages, but, you know... See- it- now, I need to interject. I thought that the Apple story was actually a bit apocryphal, that it's pretty much been decided that it's just a story. Well, they, they've made this joke before in Star Trek. Uh, in Descent, Data makes the reference that he believed the Apple story to be apocryphal, and holographic Isaac Newton's like, no, it happened. It was like one of the most important days of my life. And then they're reiterating the joke here. Ah. Uh. This is a neat little vignette. You know, just that Q interacts with normal people's lives. You know, I, I gotta say, this. there's something about this episode. The, the plotting and pacing is pleasantly unexpected. Like, it, it, when, when we tucked in for a courtroom drama, I think I was expecting a, a competent rehash of, like, Measure of a Man or something. The little side trip to... Um, what Q's doing here was unexpected, but so well executed that I thoroughly enjoyed the kind of randomness of it. It, it, it felt interesting as opposed to directionless. So apparently Quinn was involved in Woodstock. Here's where the stunt casting comes in. You know, it's a, uh, Thaddeus Riker, who was saved by Q. And why not just have him appear as Thaddeus Riker? I think that would have been ridiculous. I think if Jonathan Frake showed up in, like, a Union soldier's uniform, one, it would have, probably wouldn't have been very flattering, and two, he'd be like, the hell? I think that would have appeared silly. Also, Q has a long record of liking toying with Riker specifically. I'm... It's the redoubtable Commander Riker. Who's that's so interested? That, that's a good. That was good prop work there. The uh, photoshopping, I guess. If it were, I, I assume they use like Corel Draw or MS Paint or something. Yeah. But the um, photo work there was pretty good, adding their faces to the uh, period photo. My question is why, it, you know, Rick Berman's initial worry was that there's too many Q on too many Star Trek series, and now we're indicating that this Q was hanging out in the United States both during Woodstock and during the Civil War. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it's not cute. The groovy chick with the long red beads. <laughs> <laughs> Far out. <laughs> it's all well done. Yeah, I'll say this. I think the show is cashing in a little bit on the trust we feel for, you know, John Delancey, Kate Mulgrew, Jonathan Frakes at this point, both in front of and behind the camera. And it certainly pays off. I mean, I mean, if you think about it, there's some very heavy hitters in the Star Trek world working on this episode and and it comes together. Um, No, it's clear that they are versed. They, they know the continuity and they know what to bring in. I like that little aside that without the queue, the Borg would have assimilated the Federation. I take that to mean they would have been unprepared when, when the, the Borg, Borg eventually showed up, showed up yeah. had they not been given the preview in, uh, what's it called? Uh, Q-Hoop. Season two. 
Well, the one thing that I have to say, you know, as far as bringing in characters that, uh, you know, Q has interacted with before, I think at the same time, I think they may have learned from their mistakes in Q-less that maybe they needed to give it a lot more um, context as far as who Q is and the fact that he is a known element um, and trying to kind of stay with a bit of that characterization that was established in TNG. Well, yeah, part of what Kulis had a problem with is that Q seems so out of character. And here, although he is playing against type by being a conservative advocate, he still has the same uh, insouciance, if you will. But it's an insouciance that's not just stupid. Like, he's actually saying something of import. And I, I think they're doing do this great that. deal of research. The double effect principle. You can't love a woman for not being able to handle technobabble. That was delivered like that was a real thing, and it's not. Um, Are you sure? I, until we <laughs> until we encounter the planet Bolus, I'm going to assume not. Um, going back to Q for a second, I think they do a good enough job, kind of in the episode, <laughs> tracking his budding conservatism. Like he he was rebellious and he was punished. I yeah. think there's like, because even in uh, like uh, True Q, he's the voice of the continuum, not the not the rebel. Well, and so your point about pacing is well taken, Kevin. At this point, it's only 26 minutes into the episode, and we've basically exhausted the courtroom plot, right? Yeah. But we're gonna go into you know. It's like the episode does a great job. Like they started off with the birth of the universe and then they went to the Christmas tree and then they went to the court. They brought in Riker. So it's like we're constantly being uh, entertained, you know? It's yeah. Like, but not not in a relentless, you know, like bash you in the head way. Yeah. Because now we have, well, we have a little bit of a, a lull here, you know, kind of like, as you said, in Measure of a Man, you know, there was a point at which it didn't seem like they were going to win. You know, then they had a conversation, and, you know, of course, that was a Guinan thing. She sort of solved everything. Um, I, I like uh, the I like the little... One of the things that always annoys me in Starfleet legal procedure is people without legal training being thrust into the role of lawyer. Speaking as a lawyer, you don't just pick it up. It's not just flur verbal flourishes, I assure you. Well, I, I think do, it's well, supposed to be a court-martial, yeah. you know, it's... It's a military court situation. They still have lawyers. They, they work for the well, jail. Well, it would be but, interesting but... if there were, like, a ship's lawyer, just like there were a ship's counselor. Oh, there we go. That, there's... there's Kevin's dream job. Oh, Jesus, yeah. But I did ship's like... Lawyer. I like Tuvok <laughs> clarifying he's advocating for a position he does not necessarily believe himself because that's, that's like, a classic idea of being a lawyer. You're, you are being retained for your talents, not your, you know, beliefs. Um, so I, I like that little bit of work on the character. You know, and so we've been given the interlude with uh, Quinn and Tuvok. Now we're given an interlude where Q tries to curry favor with Janeway. I don't understand why he can't just force her. It's interesting that the Q are submitting themselves to the judgments of mortals. Because in the Amanda, uh, Amanda Rogers episode, we saw that she could just change Riker's personality. But that, think if you think back... 
that's the only time it's done. I don't yeah. think there's an example of um, Q subverting the internal will of a character. Well, and so maybe that says something about this particular Q character. You know, the John Delancey Q doesn't do that. You know, like that's not his thing. So here's the... Uh, Here's, I guess, hanging the lampshade on the why doesn't Q just send them home question. Yeah. And it's a giant Earth-sized lampshade. And uh, I gotta say, uh, it's a credit to Mulgrew that she must be looking at a green screen and she's really selling the idea that she's looking at the Earth. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, and it's a, it's a cunning piece of emotional manipulation on the part of Q. Were you ever worried that she would give in? No. Yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe they could have sold it a little bit more. Maybe she could have had a heart-to-heart with, I don't know, Chakotay or something. Or Tuvok. You know, like, indicating that she was really weighing the possibility. Well, I never thought she would give in to the bribe, but I did wonder if she would decide that... I wondered if the TV show would let her ultimately make a decision sanctioning suicide. Because that, that, that's dicey. I mean... Yeah. In fact, that, I, that's, that is one of the things I like about this show, where it, it essentially... like, And in, a, in an attenuated way, this isn't like Worf and Ethics or something where, you know, he materially has lost the ability to live his life. It's just he thinks he's done. Um, well, that, and in Ethics, they justify it as it's part of his culture. Here, it's like our culture is endorsing it. Yeah. So... Now, this, this is, if I were worried about the episode prior to this point, I'm not worried anymore. Because now my brain is tickled. My, my creative juices are engaged. Like, I, I, I'm tickled pink by the notion that we see the continuum, even if it's represented in some sort of human way. Well, the little you know, touches, like the handless yeah. clock and the infinity sign on the never close and, like, what I like about this, and now that I think about it, I, uh, having seen all the original series, I have a little more appreciation for the thought that must have um, gone into this, because it, it reminds that, me that of... That pinball uh, machine, by the way, was firepower with a different back glass put on it. I, I love that you know that. It tickles me that you know that. Um, but the, what I like about this is, um, in like, uh, what was it, Way of the Gun? Spectre of the Gun? No. the Spectre of the Gun? Spectre of the Gun. Um, that kind of minimalism that really eerily made the idea. So, like, the lone building in the desert and the road represents, frankly, the same thing the road has always represented in literature, but still, it works. Th there's a exquisite artfulness to the way they've done this. They found this just incredibly thought-provoking, efficient, minimalist way to express the unexpressible. And it's perfect. Like the you know the slightly overexposed lighting, the eerie silence, it's all there. It's 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 I really have it's just flawless the way they manage to not have it be a letdown of depicting the continuum. That's a creepy smile. It's a really creepy smile. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I agree with you, Kevin. 
just like Spectre of the Gun, what they do is they give you just enough, and then your your mind can fill in the gaps. You, the viewer, can sort of imagine what life in the yeah. Q continuum is like. They they certainly evoke it. You know, you have this like bored socialite reading the socialite magazine. I don't know. It doesn't feel like a real place to me. Well, I agree with that. But I don't think it's supposed to. I think like that. <laughs> It's it's this slightly attenuated, slightly bizarre like like there's the dog and the scarecrow and like and it, it's it ha- kind of all they can give to a human viewer. Right. It, it has this surreal quality without like beating me to death with an apple faced man or a melting clock or something. Like they 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 walked a very fine line and they did it with like real materials. I think had we ended up in some CGI explosion of green screen, that would have been awful. So they're, they're sticking it to the Q character here, talking about his change. I'm a born-again Q. These two actors have really... You know, we've been talking about uh, Kate Mulgrew and John Delancey. I mean, the two Q actors have a wonderful back and forth. Like, there there is just uh, real energy there. Yeah, I agree with that. This is Garrett Graham as Quinn. I think he provided the voice of... Uh, Jay Sherman's father and the critic, if my IMDb memory serves. He was a hunter who was hunting Tosk, I believe. Yeah. DS. I mean, one thing I will say for this setting that they've given us is it gives you sympathy for someone who wants to get out. Yeah. Well, and I guess that was uh, Quinn's, you know, hope. Yeah, definitely nice chemistry here. The one who forced me to think. Well, and it, and it uh, here's my question: it, Would a new viewer like Kelly? When you watched this, you had watched all of Next Gen already, right? Yes. Okay. I wonder how a truly new viewer or someone who started with Voyager would um, respond to this episode, because like when he says, "I miss the irrepressible Q," my you know tiny thirteen, fourteen year old heart swelled with the memory of you know. Q Pid and um, you know Q Who and like all those other episodes. Like I'm like, oh, he's talking about those awesome, really awesome other episodes. Like I wonder how it would read without the the background. I feel like as a new viewer, you would be intrigued because the actors are so good. Yeah, you'd say, oh wow, there are more of these stories. I want to hear. I want to see them. Right. That's that's my impression. Yeah, I'll, I'll give uh, you of that. Of course, I agree. You know, like <laughs> I had already seen every Q episode prior to this. This was some real politics that he was just delving into. Yeah, and that's something I appreciate about the episode. It, it doesn't veer into any sort of cheap sentimentalism about the issue of assisted suicide or euthanasia. It really kept it at this like very grown-up level of is it you know is it ethical to even if you disagree with him is it ethical to force him into something like that's the that's interesting. Well, and beyond assisted suicide or euthanasia, it's also tackling philosophical issues of immortality. Would life be meaningless if it were infinite? The disease is immortality. You know, that's a story that I think could be told in a few other settings, but not many. Maybe like Superman... You know, or 
uh, you know, certain comic book stories and possibly in a hard sci-fi take on immortality. Well, I, I that gotta... look right there from John Delancey, that's when he pretty much, like you can tell, like he knows that. Well, he knows that Quinn is right, not just that he's going to lose, but he knows that Quinn is right. Yeah. Um, and something I... Oh, sorry, I'm lost. I lost my train of thought. I'm distracted by the quality acting. Um... This is a neat scene. She's, you know, up ruminating. She can't get to sleep. <laughs> and of course, we have seen this before, so it's it's not uh, unduly sexist to show him in her bed because he's been in Picard's bed too. Yeah. I love his uh, sleep cap. Yeah. The only thing that would have made it better is if he got up and he had the square door in the back of his gown. <laughs> We'll assign someone to look after him. So it is interesting. I mean, he's offering a way out of suicide. And yeah, and it, it's it's this scene here, I think, more than the others, um, that really mines their friendship. I think with a different pair of actors, this would have read creepier than funnier, but I think the two of them clearly have such, like, such a relationship that it is actually funny. I'm, I'm not like upset on her behalf. Forget Mark. <laughs> Whom we have forgotten completely. <laughs> <laughs> so is Sri Lanka Boulevard in, in San Francisco? I don't know the geography. Oh, I don't know. So Q is making comments about a female captain. You know, she has authority but femininity. <laughs> and she shuts him down. I wonder how long it takes to get her hairdo up in the morning, because that cannot be easy. You think that's her real hair? No, no, the, that whole thing has to be a wig. I still just completely remember Richard's comment about did Janeway use a bump it? Oh, that was the funniest thing that I think I ever heard him say. Well, if you look up Sri Lanka Boulevard, the first hit is Memory Alpha, so I'm guessing it's not a real place. Yeah. Okay. I, I will say that uh, the heartfelt speech of the judge trope <laughs> when they're delivering the verdict uh, is it's getting kind of old. Yeah. In, in all my years at the bar, I've never, uh, I, I mean, judges like to explain themselves, but that tends to be more of a dispassionate recitation of the facts and the law, but. Well, you do that in a written opinion too. I mean, it's, yeah, it's kind of self-indulgent, but, but this is it. Well, oh god. televised drama. So. Well, that and she's not a judge. She's a starship captain. I mean, it's a slightly different role. I mean, she is a captain that is acting as a judge, but I, I would say that she's a captain first, a judge second. 
So this is a very, it's an interesting political question. Can the state impose X on an individual if the harm threatened is not great enough to justify uh, stopping it? So he's been uh, DQized, I guess. I kind of wonder why the Q, if they have executed other Qs, are so, you know, they find this idea so inimical. Well, they wouldn't be the first society riddled with contradictions. Yeah. Yes, so I like this appeal. It's kind of like someone who has ruled that abortion should be legal, but then tries to convince the person not to get an abortion. Mm. And it, it's a very consistent position for her. It still respects the liberty of the other individual, but she's trying to appeal to him and you know, trying to persuade him. Is that your cat? Yep. Uh So he's given his name here at minute 42. Yeah, it took less time than the doctor. <laughs> hey, here's Chakotay again. He's, so he's had 40 minutes of nothing to do. We've had what? We've had... No Tom Paris or Harry Kim or Doctor. Well, they were on well, the bridge. The doctor. They didn't really do anything. So he ingested hemlock, which of course is uh, how Socrates. There's no cure. Yeah, I'm surprised Inaprovaline can't do something about this. <laughs> Tricordrazine, Hyronolin. Or just reversing the polarity of something. Yeah. Use the well, trans. Hyronolin is for radiation, Inaprovaline's for everything. <laughs> Yeah, trichordrazine is just for uh, oxygen and cardiovascular problems. Driving you crazy sometimes. Or no, that's just cordrazine. Does trichordrazine not have the insanity effect? Well, maybe bad. it has three times the insanity effect. You would think. So yeah, anyhow, uh, you know, as a philosopher, I am tickled by the philosophy reference here. Q is the philosopher of the continuum, and he adjusts hemlock like Socrates. And now we see the you know change in the Q character. You know he's the one who brought him the hemlock, and he's learned something. The lipstick is just yeah, it's bizarre. It's not doing it for me. Well, it made sense when he was like in his judge drag. Well, and now that Quinn is mortal, his lips are normal colored. Is that like, you know, you're, well, there's your cheap convention costume. Just buy yeah. some purple lipstick. <laughs> you're assuming I don't already have some. Oh, I, I wasn't assuming anything. <laughs> Even Robert Ricardo managed to infuse a lot in the look. Like, his character should be sort of immediately bothered by the, the needless, what I assume from his perspective would be the needless loss of a life. 
one thing I would I would like to see, I suppose, at the end of this episode is Janeway um, sort of ruining her decision because she was given an instantaneous out, you know, to Voyager's yeah. predicament. Well, or not even ruining her decision, but right there at the end where she's talking to Q, be like, hey, you learned something great. I'll get us home. Yeah. Yeah, just, just some sort of emotional consequence. Um, but that, that's a pretty minor criticism because the episode itself is not really about that. Um, but I feel like they have to mention it. You know, If this were in the Alpha Quadrant, they wouldn't have to mention something like that. It would just be an arbitration episode. Um. Well, the episode has concluded. Elizabeth, what do you think about the writing? Um, well, I happen to think that the writing is pretty top-notch. Um, there really isn't much to fault with the writing. I think that they wrote to the characters extremely well, particularly John DeLancey and, and his cue. Um, I think that there was just so much infused in this episode that, you know, it's not just, there's politics, there's personal beliefs, there's just everything. And it, and it all manages to hold a lot of weight. And I think that is a sign of excellent writing. I'm looking at Michael Pillar's other credits and the TNG credits are uniformly, uh, terrific there there's literally nothing on his tng resume that's bad on the other hand looking at his ds9 credits uh we've got move along home uh yeah but he he, he also did caretaker on voyager ex post facto which we liked time and again which we liked uh tattoo eh, meld which we liked or will like in the future. Um, you know, Pillar obviously knows Star Trek. And from what I know of Pillar, he wasn't a sci-fi fan. He came in as someone with just lots of TV experience, so he knows how to write a good script. Um, you know, I mean, if there's a guy you want to do your crossover, quote-unquote crossover episode, where you bring in characters from different series... It's going to be like Pillar, Berman, Braga, or more. One of those four guys. and Or Jerry Taylor, you know, to some degree. Maybe DC Fontana. Uh, she did a good episode of DS9. But, yeah, I mean, I think the writing's pretty much beyond reproach. Well, let me say this, though. I think the writing is very good. I think that it's a very interesting story. I think that... It brings up a lot of interesting points. It's not an episode I want to watch over and over again. I just don't enjoy it that much. Do you think it's because of a lack of action? Because of the lack of... I mean, the conflict is very subdued. Uh... Well, but I think that there are other sort of talky, thinky episodes that I don't mind rewatching. I... I'm not sure exactly what it is. I mean, maybe ultimately it's that I don't care that much about Quinn. I mean, I care about him in the sense that, you know, they, they do a good job fleshing him out in one episode, but he's only in one episode. Yeah. And um, so 
it doesn't pack the ultimate punch that an episode that's about a character that I've followed for several seasons would. It would have been quite interesting had the roles been reversed. Had it been <laughs> Q who was going to commit suicide. I think maybe the fandom would have been up in arms. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I, I might not seek this one out to rewatch it, but whenever I encounter it, I'm always delighted. It's just like like, like the scenes in the Q continuum alone really do it for me like like and maybe that is because i'm a long time viewer like when he when he just gives that line i miss the irrepressible cue and i just remember all the instances of irrepressible cue i'm like just nerd delighted just every fiber of my nerd being is just over the moon at the implications of that sentence so and maybe this was i i think this kind of dovetails with what I was talking about earlier. Um, I think there is more here for the longtime fan than, than a casual viewer. I think that may be true, but I think the ethical story is enough for someone who's never seen an episode of Star Trek to find it interesting on an intellectual level. I think it's well-constructed. I think it, it never drags. There's lots of interesting things that tickle the fancy there are good moments for the characters. We learn something about the characters. Does it rise to the level of ultimate rewatchability? Eh, I can see an argument that it doesn't. Well, see, but on the other hand, I do say that this is an episode that I do seek out when I'm in the mood for a Voyager episode or just an episode of Star Trek in general. I mean, I would place this episode in probably at a minimum in my top 20 episodes of all track. Oh, wow. Well, that's pretty high. I I just love the Voyager characters so much, and there's so little of the Voyager characters here. Yeah, of the characters, it's mainly a Janeway episode, a bit of Tuvok. Janeway and Tuvok, mostly. Um, Hmm. I mean, so does the acting have an impact on it? I mean, do you feel like the actors you want to see aren't given enough of a chance? Do the actors we do see not capitalize you know I, I feel like they were all pretty good i mean just, there were there was a lot of finally very nice emotional acting for john delancey to do you know it's like you actually saw his character experience feelings you know which you didn't see in in Culus. um we saw some in tng especially when he lost his powers uh but this this was probably the deepest john delancey cue I think we've seen, and that's a credit to both writing and acting. I think the acting is all very well done. I, I just don't connect with it emotionally. Well, Kevin, um, you, you raise some interesting points. Like, like I said, part of what I liked about the way they, um, uh, the way Q is structured into next generation, his story is the counterpoint and bookends and sort of narrative thread of Next Generation. So I think there's a way he resonates with the, at least with Picard, but to an extent with the entire crew. Like, he, he is a integral part of that story in a way that I don't think they quite achieved with their Voyager outings. It became, Kate Mulgrew is a very good actress and has very fun scenes with John Delancey. And that's an entirely valid reason to do something for 42 minutes of your life. But it doesn't quite like had they found a way to work in something more 
to the Voyager characters, the other Voyager characters, maybe it would have been even more successful. So it's one of those, like, take it on its own. I love this episode, and there's a lot to love about it. But I think what it, the one place I could argue that it fails is that it does not provide the impressive narrative scope to the series that he did for Next Generation. Yeah, I agree that most of the Q episodes in TNG were the Q character being thrust against some aspect of humanity and calling it into stark counterpoint. And this was more about like an internal Q dispute with implications for an issue that we care about, but not directly. Right. It's only indirectly. Um, Production-wise... There was a lot of ship stuff, but we saw the beginning of the universe. We saw the Christmas tree. We saw the inside of the comet, sort of. Yeah, that was kind of lame. Um, and we saw the continuum, you know, in Nevada or wherever it was. And uh, there was certainly nothing bad. Even the costumes, on, you know, like you said, Kevin, you had the Civil War daguerreotype. And you had Maury Ginsburg, who looked pretty good. Um it was all really good. It was well done. Yeah. Uh, even the comet was fine, but you, you know, I do kind of wonder. The, the comet effect, even when it was at the beginning of the episode, was not the best visual effect. Yeah. There was some uh, Q split screen kind of stuff, which was just okay. But it's above average, I would say. There's yeah. a lot of neat stuff to look at. I'd agree with that. Well, then... Uh, Let's say, what say our guest people? Um, as far as a number rating or as yeah. far as the... I would give it a five okay. with, with no hesitation. Five. Top percent of all Trek? Yep. Yeah, I would... I, uh, Kelly, what's your, uh, what's your take? I think it's got to be a four for me. I... It's one of these weird things where it's like, okay, the writing's probably a five, and the acting's probably a five, and the production's probably a five, but the sum of it is still a four for me. There's something that just doesn't quite rise to that level of fives. And, I, I mean, I will admit that there is probably some part of this that is just a personal reaction against suicide, because I have an uncle who committed suicide, and it's a very sore subject for me and so I think part of it could be that but really I I think regardless of that I think something about it not quite fitting into the Voyager universe for me makes it a four okay. mm. so Kevin you say I'm gonna go with the five I, I think as Star Trek and as interesting energetic storytelling this definitely ranks up there like had they whiffed on the um, portrayal of the continuum or something, you know, maybe, maybe it would be lower. But I, I'm so just intrigued and entertained by the episode that um, I got I got to say five. Hmm. Well, I'm looking at some of our past ratings to try to situate this. And I see that we gave Measure of Man a nine. And I believe I gave it a four because I, I thought I, it was... Yeah, too talky. Yeah, it was just a bit on the boring side. Uh, although it was, you know, there were certainly interesting things about it. You know, and then I'm looking at some of our tens, and, you know, 
some of these are pretty darn good episodes. <laughs> They're tough to compare anything to. Um, but uh, I think this is better than The Measure of a Man. And I think it's as good as some of the lower-end tens we've given. Uh, so, for instance, The Trouble with Tribbles, um, All Our Yesterdays, which had a few logic issues, yeah, but was still a really kick-ass story. Conspiracy, which just had a general season oneness about it. Um, you know, Q Who maybe didn't go far enough with some of the issues. Uh, Silicon Avatar. You know, I, I kind of see this as maybe being able to to punch with some of those heavyweights. Not all of them, but some of them. So I think I'm going to – it's borderline. But I think I'm going to err on the side of a five. Uh, I think it probably just squeaks into the top 10%. Uh, what what would make it a dead cinch lock? Um, I don't know. I, I think maybe more of the emotional consequences for Janeway, for for the Voyager characters. I agree that the Voyager aspect is somewhat light here. It's more of a Q story than a Voyager story. It's a Q story I'm glad got told because it has neat, you know, sort of ethical and philosophical implications. But I would have liked just a bit more about at least Janeway if not Tuvok. I mean, I think they could have explored Vulcan attitudes. They talked about it in the mess hall, but they didn't go too deeply into it, you know? Well, and you could have Q trying to bribe some of the other characters, too. I mean, there could be something there that tells you something about the Voyager characters that we're not getting. Yeah. Nonetheless, I think it's strong enough as it is to be a five. But I think it would, there, it would be unequivocal had it been slight, you know, just two or three, maybe five more minutes of Voyager-centric interactions. Um, but it's good. <laughs> it's uh, is. Do you think this is the best episode of Voyager so far? I think the phage is better. Uh, you know, we had Jatral, which was quite good. Yeah. I believe we gave that a 10. Uh, this is certainly as good as those. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the same ballpark. So, yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Uh, I, I think Kelly is right on in her criticism. Um, <laughs> Who'd have thought I'd be the one giving the Voyager episode? <laughs> yeah, there's been a couple of times when I've given the higher score to the Voyager episode, and I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> well, maybe I'm just trying to be extra objective or something, and I end up, you know, my students won't listen to this, so I'm safe in saying <laughs> that you know occasionally when i give a grade it'll be for you know some larger reason it's like well you know i want to encourage this person so i'll tack on one extra point or you know i want to deflate this person's ego a little bit so i'll take them down one point you do not oh <laughs> you what <laughs> it's never enough to change their overall letter grade it's just you know it's a psychological tool Right. Oh, come on, though. Yeah. But, but, and we but gave you want to take him down a peg? I, I just looked it up. What's that? We gave to trial an eight. Oh, okay. I wonder what our issues were. Um, we so, never yeah. got to see I... Rhinax, and there was like four plots competing for attention. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 
this was better paced than Jatral. This, this, you know, each plot was developed further to fruition. Yeah. Although not all of them completely, uh, with respect to the Janeway thing. Um, Elizabeth, it's only one point. Trust me. <laughs> I'm just morally outraged. Too. It's for the greater good. It's, it's, but to take them down a peg, really? When does a student need to be taken down a peg? Oh, you've never met a student who needed to be? Well, maybe. Well, but It's when I get a paper that the writer is so obviously enamored with their ability to, you know, put 1,200 words on the page when 1,000 could have done, you know. And usually I'll say, you know, this was too long. You reiterated things too much, you know, and so I'm docking a point. And I say that at the beginning of the semester. I say, you know, I give you a limit because you need to learn to write with less, you know. So this is all a side issue to the Voyager discussion here. Anyhow, what I mean to say is that, you know, occasionally there's a I feel like Voyager needs a five right now, so I'm just, you know, <laughs> if all other things being equal, which I think there are equally strong arguments for a four and a five, you know, all of the things being equal, I'm just so happy that this exists and that it's not threshold or the thaw, you know, and sometimes that's enough. Yeah. Okay, that is a 10 for Death Wish from the, you know, the scores that matter. Um <laughs> No, nah. <laughs> oh, I think it matters that people can offer their scores. It's nah, part just, of the conversation. Yeah, being cute. Um, y- y- I agree with everything you've said, Kelly. I just don't think it pulls it out of the five because I think the finished product is so entertaining as itself that I think it makes up for it. But I, I totally get what you're saying. And-, and I think that fits into my larger criticism where the Q on Voyager never attains that kind of narrative structure that it gives next gen. Like they found, they used Q to give TNG a series wide point and they never come close to that in Voyager. And that makes me sad because I think, you know, the actor's good enough and the writers are good enough. They could have found a way to really tell us something interesting using Q. But yeah, I agree. There's probably no reason that this had to be a Voyager story, you know, Slight differences in captaining style, notwithstanding, you know, you could just as well have had, you know, a euthanasia episode on TNG. Or even DS9. Had this been DS9's um, Q episode, we would have been thrilled. We could have gotten the Bajoran perspective on euthanasia. We could have had Cisco making points about, like, yeah, the, ooh, God, that would have been great. But it could have easily been a Deep Space Nine episode. You know, like, there's nothing, you're right, nothing here has to be Voyager. And well, and that's why I wanted more of the, you know, Voyager going home bit. Yeah. All right. Well, so I think it it squeaks into the 10 territory and I I don't think I doubt the internet will come to a halt in disagreement with our rating. <coughs> so, that'll do it. Uh the thaw is coming people. Be ready. Uh-huh. You're never ready for the thaw. <laughs> no. As I, as I said earlier before we started recording, we have nothing to fear but fear itself in that episode. And I can't even drink right now. The first rule of the thaw is we don't talk about the thaw. <laughs> if if we do a podcast on the thaw, we really have to find a way 
except for Kelly, to have a drinking game associated you, with you it. You can have, like, a glass of wine. I'm sure your tolerance is hell right now anyway. I'm sure that'd be enough. I can't have enough wine to make me enjoy the thaw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the threshold is so bad it's good. I don't know about the thaw. There's there's yeah, nothing I, good yeah, about don't, the thaw. Don't, don't imperil your... your, your uh, your child for the thaw. It's not the thaw is not worth it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Live long and prosper. Have a good night, everyone. Yeah. Peace and long life. <laughs>